Welcome to the Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sarah Parnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. And today we're going to be looking at Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas. Catherine House isn't just a university. It's a legendary institution that only accepts the brightest and the boldest to spend three years locked away with no phones, no TV and no contact with the outside world. Catherine produces fame and accolades, stars and politicians. But they all love Catherine and refuse to speak of its secrets outside of the school walls. When Inez is accepted to Catherine upon the recommendation of her favourite teacher, she's relieved to escape her life and be ensconced by the school. It quickly becomes clear to Inez that all isn't as it seems at Catherine and she takes it upon herself to uncover what's really happening behind closed doors and why Catherine chose her. As usual, we are going to be talking about the book in full, twists, the ending, all of the reveals, everything. So yeah, (laughs) if you haven't read the book, then maybe go and read the book and then come back. We won't be offended. And if you have read it, welcome along for the ride as we discuss it in full. For our final episode of season one. final episode. Of the Dark Academicals. How did we get here? (laughs) We did it! (laughs) So... As per usual, we are going to look at all of our big markers of what we think makes a dark academia novel based around the secret history as the touchstone novel. And we're going to look at that in reference to Catherine House. Just going to quickly run over what our kind of tenets of dark academia are. So we've got a higher education setting, often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. Old Gothic architecture. A preoccupation with classical studies, whether Latin, Greek, philosophy or even literature. Murder. A dark, moody and or haunting vibe. Hero worship of a particular figure or author. Old money, which collides with new money or no money. Money, 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 money. Exactly that. (laughs) Whether as a literary device or pathetic fallacy underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist being portrayed as an outsider and i think like straight off the bat from us catherine house very much hit the mark of dark academia didn't it yes so let's look at these in a bit closer detail First up, we have a higher education setting, which is often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. And I just put, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. It's, it is a university, but it's not a university in any traditional sense of the word, is it? No, I think um, it's very much cult-like, but it's like, yeah, uh, it is. it's very much how it's almost set up a bit like uh, the school in Madam, which I can't remember what the school is called now, but um, uh, nor can I. But it's but that kind of like people, yeah. If you know, you know, mm. and if you don't know, you don't know. Like there's no like, oh, I know something about them. No, you don't. No, you know nothing. You either know or you don't. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely that. I actually found this really like <laughs> this passage about the school. I don't know whether it was. I think it was Ines describing it. She says. What was Catherine exactly? 
let's say a community of minds, a crucible of experimental reformist liberal arts study, research and development institute for the most radical new material sciences, a post-secondary school more selective than any Ivy League and so terrifically endowed that tuition was free to any student lucky enough to be accepted. A tiny, pioneering, fanatically private place that by some miracle of chemistry produced some of the world's best minds. Prize-winning authors, artists and inventors, diplomats, senators, Supreme Court justices, two presidents of the United States. A school and an estate, a complex confection of architecture and design, a house, a magnificent house, miles off the highway in Blackwoods behind a long iron gate. <laughs> Anyone say Freemasons? <laughs> can anyone it, say illuminati it, it is that kind of mixture though isn't it it's that elusive ivy league but also a secret society but also basically a cult yeah i don't know if because you read the kindle version didn't you i did and i read the the paperback i don't know at the end of the kindle version do you have the interview with the author uh no i didn't so um, Elizabeth Thomas, at the end, she's got like an ex- excerpt from an interview uh, where she talks about Yale. I lied. It's not in the interview, but there's a bit at the back of the book that says the inspiration behind Catherine House, where she, the first line is, and this is what she writes, I was raised to despise Yale University. So my grandfather had been one of four black men in Yale's class of 53, and then um, and then his father went to Yale and uh, when she, it was her turn to apply to college, her dad said, you can go to any school you like as long as it's not Yale. I chose Yale, of course. <laughs> um, I, it was just, I thought that was really interesting as well. Like um, if you have to see if you can, why am I showing you? You can't see it through a microphone. It's backwards. <laughs> and through a microphone. But um, I thought it was just really interesting to see her kind of, perspective on Yale and obviously her father and her grandfather mm-hmm. because I mean I'm currently doing a rewatch of Gilmore Girls so I see I've been seeing Yale through Rory's perspective which is yeah. very very different mm. um and I can't remember what my, my point was gonna be but there you go <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting it's an interesting the inspiration like behind Catherine House, yeah, it's a really yeah. interesting comparison. That definitely anchors it, doesn't it, in that idea of the the exclusive Ivy League and the um, secret societies. Yeah. That's a breeding ground for dark academia, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's also another element that seems to kind of connect these books when we, like, latch on one that is dark academia or as dark academia leanings is it set in the 90s yeah it's 97 96 somewhere around there somewhere isn't it? yeah 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 and it's something i think about that i think it might be the technology stages of that time yeah. period because obviously there was tv and i mean there was internet right but not like yeah. e- not easily accessible at home internet and you didn't have six million channels and, you know, I, not many people had mobile phones kind of no. thing. So it was still very restricted in that way. I guess that kind of contributes to the to the atmosphere, doesn't it? Like someone yeah. would have snuck a mobile in if that was set in 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I think um, setting it in the nineties. I think I've said this before. The nineties is like the last slow decade. Yeah, um, where information was just slower. It doesn't mean it was any 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 less important or any less good. I don't know what the right word is, but just because of the yeah, we have like information at our fingertips like all the time. Too much. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean anything stays in, but like before the internet, you had to go and seek it and you probably had to remember a lot more because you couldn't just be like, oh, I'll just Google it later. Yeah, exactly. And it's lots of paper trails. Yeah. And paper trails can be destroyed and secrets can be kept. And like I say, paper trails can also, yeah, reveal a lot too. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's that, like, that privacy was easier in the 90s in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> so definitely <laughs> ticks the box for um that aspect. Yeah, and education a long and rambling start for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry if you're here for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I just really like this book. It's fantastic. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we both loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so next is old gothic architecture. I my gut reaction is yes, but mm. I don't actually remember being introduced to the building outside. No, I think, but I I take the word gothic in in this sense in the more of the genre term than of the oh, okay. architecture As in term. The physical, yeah, because it definitely yeah, it's definitely that yeah yeah it's definitely that um gothic haunted house with hidden rooms and secret passages and blocked mm. off and that kind of added things added on and melded together yeah and it's not exactly decorated in a very um modern way like it's not decorated with the latest like 90s mod no. cons or anything it's falling apart yeah and they've got like four computers and they're all restricted and yeah but big you know spilling over libraries and an art gallery and just a casual art gallery you oh know. the baths <laughs> the yeah. baths under the school yeah and they're constantly De- finding new rooms as well aren't they they're like oh come yeah. and see what we found in the attic and you're like how mm. did you not find this before you're like how big is this school yeah <laughs> yeah i'm actually i actually want to touch on the gothic house a little bit later on as well. Of course you do. <laughs> it's just interesting, okay? It is your concentration, as they may say in Catherine House. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of concentrations, the next kind of thing we're going to look at is like the preoccupation with a study. And it's not classical studies, it's not art, it's not literature, it's not language. It's plasm. In Catherine House. Plasm? I thought plasm. I was reading it wrong for a while. I was like, plasm? Mm. I don't know if I was just reading it really wrong, but it is plasm. It is literally plasm, yeah. So, it's like a, a study of like, it's a material sciences kind of study. Like, almost theoretical pseudoscience. Yeah. But also not. Because it kind of leans into the sci-fi a little bit there, doesn't it? Yeah. But not fully, not enough to tip it over. Yeah. So this is where all of the big spoilers start, basically. 
So yes. <laughs> a second reminder, if you haven't finished the book and don't want to be spoiled, now is your time to um, go and finish the book and come back later. Okay, good. Right. So Plasm is... Let me see if I can get this, because all three of them are like, <laughs> I don't think I really understand what this is. And I don't think I really understand what this is. No. But it's like a formative matter, the thing that everything is made of. That connects yeah. everything. Uh, the best way I, I could kind of make it make sense in my head, even though, you know, if they actually explained what it was, but they don't because that's the point anyway. Again, I touch on that again later. <laughs> um, it's it's like the Force in yeah. Star Wars. It connects. It's in all of us. It connects everything. And if you can somehow harness its power, you can do great things with it. Mm-hmm. And terrible things. And terrible things. Even the characters don't really know what it is or how to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> but the scenes in the book make you understand it in a way that you can't articulate. Or we yeah. can't articulate anyway. <laughs> um, but And that is like the main concentration. And concentrations are their, their topics of like close study. Like so you they're major. Something, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or like a, a dissertation piece or a PhD piece. Yeah, I I mean, that seems to be like the the driving force for a lot of people. Like that's what they want to study. Mm. But for those that don't take that concentration or don't um, kind of qualify to be able to, or they're not accepted onto that course, mm. essentially, what's left are still very kind of um older studies it's not like they're not studying um you know they don't come out of there with a degree in communications or like a degree in hospitality or no. you know or, or even, even english literature or, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really quite bizarre things that they study so mm. Inez ends up concentrating on art history but the study themselves are made almost impenetrable by just like the course title. So her main concentration is art history, but she has to study German to be able to kind of understand the basics of that. But it'll also be, I mean, I should have wrote some of them down, but some of the, some of the actual like classes themselves are named yeah. such ridiculous things that they sound impenetrable. And they don't seem to have any connection to no. art history. And they seem to take pride in that kind of like minutiae of, of a subject. It's almost yeah. like, well, to be able to study this properly, you have to, you know, have to have all like this, this and this. Otherwise, you're not going to be accomplished yeah. in a subject. But it's all it's all absolute fluff when it comes down to mm. it. Yeah. Because, you know, we find out, uh, you know, at the end where Victoria is kind of saying to Ina's like, you know, oh, you were so, you know, you could have been so brilliant. You were so brilliant. But basically she says, even I didn't understand what you were writing your project about because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's something like you don't have the the critical analysis knowledge yeah. to make a good essay, but your brain works in a weird way and that's why we like you. Yeah. Like you're saying things that don't say anything and that's what tickles our pickle really. Oh, I mean, it's almost like she'd listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I think another thing that's interesting with um, 
like plasm and the study of that it's where in other dark academia novels when there is that laser focus we see like that environment that classroom that group of people but we don't see that kind of affect anyone outside of that group yeah whereas we are looking into that group because inez isn't one of the plasm concentration she is experiencing the not the fallout the the effects of what they are studying in this whole school experiment yeah which i think is a is a really different approach to that um that preoccupation even though she is still obsessed with it yeah she's a distance you, it, it, yeah you get to kind of you get to kind of see um almost like how she would have looked like if she had been in that concentration because we see her seeing Theo kind of change and obviously what it did to baby to pursue it and also Mm. Anna who tried to pursue it and kind of was like no not for me (laughs) and watching Sandy yeah yeah which I think uh follows on quite nicely to murder (laughs) because I said death but not murder but also murder well 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 is what I wrote (laughs) I put you, you know, you, because you can argue that they all experience a kind of death at the hands of Catherine. Yeah. At the house. They all kind of, they're, they're told to leave their past behind. Mm. They're told to not even talk about their past. Yeah. They kind of have to be reborn into this image that Catherine House wants. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But also were not Sandy and Baby murdered, even though they yeah. agreed did they? But can you really agree to that once you've been indoctrinated into exactly. this? That's that cult thing, isn't it? It's that, yeah. what level of choice is there in that environment? <laughs> I think Not a lot. <laughs> no. I think that's where um, where Yaya comes in um, and she's like, you, to Inez, she says, you have to think about getting out. You have to choose to rewire your brain in order to survive this kind of thing i love her she's amazing yeah (laughs) she's great she kind of she loves rifling through all of the attics (laughs) finding whatever she can find and bartering and exchanging all of the bits because they're not allowed like objects from the real world or things from home and they you have to accrue points and purchase them in the commissary. Yeah, but like it's, a prison. It's, yeah, but it's donated random crap from yeah. old Catherine Allums. It's not like <laughs> it's not normal things. <laughs> yeah, so they're all given a wardrobe. So you, they all wear jeans and jeans and t-shirt, jeans and a white t-shirt, and um, like. Uh, like canvas tennis shoes type thing mm. and then it swaps for boots and they get a coat in and winter. Yeah. And they get shorts and sandals mm. in the summer. Very madam. And I think there's definitely a dark, moody and or haunting vibe. Like the characters go to Catherine haunted by their lives. Yeah. They're they're all traumatised in one way or another. And Inez is kind of escaping a traumatic incident where she's she gets involved with the wrong people and drinking and partying and then one morning she wakes up next to a girl who has died in the night 
We don't know what happened. She doesn't know because Ines sees this and runs. And um, goes to, to Catherine to escape this. And that that haunting kind of follows her all the way through. Mm. And they're all and it, they're all kind of running away from something, or they they oh, feel yeah. like they are. Yeah, definitely. There's um, there is a quote. Here we go. Um, I think it's something Victoria says to Ina. She says, "Everyone here was here desperately. All of us, for one reason or another, had nowhere else to go." So not Victoria, because that wouldn't make sense. I think that was Inez. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is like a last resort place. Like if they don't thrive in this environment, then this environment that was developed for them to be different. Yeah. Then they're not really going to get on very well, (laughs) basically. I think also the the writing itself kind of has that kind of moody element mm. doesn't it it has that yeah. very atmospheric um detail orientated but the details that it focuses on is often very they're very, very visceral but then we'll leave mm. out things and you think why didn't you describe that but i found that really interesting yeah because there's lots of minutia yeah on the everyday things but then the the big yeah the big issues are just floated past something yeah like we get so much information about what they eat i love that yeah i mean not I, only I because like... i like food but <laughs> i i thought like the the symbolism of that mm. was yeah, really interesting that's really clever i did like that a lot but i think that plays into that that atmosphere of like on the surface this is an everyday school it's a bit weird it's a bit quirky but hey, they eat three times a day. You know, yeah. they have a bath in the mornings. They go to class and, you know, it's that kind of what's behind the veil kind of thing. Yeah. Same again, right? We've made lots of comparisons to Madam, but they, they do sit really well together. Yeah. Um, Similar to Madam, really. But I think unlike Madam, <laughs> there isn't really a clear, like, a recipient of hero worship in this book no i mean i wrote down a few but i mean they're all definitely striving towards something but it's yeah it's not on the same i mean for some of them i guess plasm and the whole kind of research and mm-hmm. m neptunus and and everything is kind of their hero worship but um for inez she Survival. i think she she wants it though that's that's also one of the things is she can't seem to under she can't understand why she doesn't want it she wants to want it like the others yeah. do and she doesn't i think that's trauma isn't it yeah trauma response i mean i put for hero worship of a particular figure or author i put the first thing i put was catherine house because okay, they en- yeah. they end up they end up one way or another brainwashed into kind of worshipping the house in in yeah. a very strange kind of way yeah we should probably explain a little bit about that yeah so <laughs> there are pins now i think these are closer to like what americans term pins as in like the enamel pins rather than like a push pin that we would see um all oh, right 
I don't That's know how, how I... I... Is that not how you saw them? Well, I struggled to to kind of imagine them. I ended up imagining them, like, with the these, like... <laughs> Almost like acupuncture needles, but with a little like oh, blob okay. on the end. Because I kind of saw them as like, um, like just big buttons, like <laughs> buttons on your cardigan, that, like <laughs> attached to you that way, kind of thing. Uh huh. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, these pins, in whatever physical form they took, <laughs> were attached to um, their heads, their stomach, the back, and. Victoria, who's like the leader of the school. She's not the headmistress. She's the director. The director. There we go. And she kind of like leads them into a chant. A guided meditation, isn't it? Yeah. And it kind of chants. And with these pins, it, it connects them to the house. And when they're stressed or when they feel emotional, when they're sad... They start chanting this chant to themselves and it mm. it calms them down and it reconnects them to the house and their love for the house. And it's really creepy. It's really creepy. <laughs> it's almost and they have like this every week. It, it's like positive affirmations but gone haywire. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. And it's supposedly like the plasm in these pins that is wiring them to the way the house, i almost yeah the way i understood it was that the pins allow the plasm to communicate with your body to be able to fix it yeah yeah because that's what they call it don't they like mending mm. yeah. yeah and i guess that's a dual meaning there isn't it yeah like the rending and yeah, yeah the whole the whole plasm thing it's it's a bit of a brain teaser, that one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think, for me, collected with, like, the institution of Catherine House and then this kind of, like, this kind of pseudo science thing going on, it... Now, I don't want to be considered fair game, but it <laughs> it did it did kind of remind me a little bit of Scientology. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the way that works. I literally just read a book about cults, so mm. again, not not looking not looking here for my own webpage to be smeared, but <laughs> it is a little bit like Scientology. They're all like scrabbling to kind of be be better, be at the top, to kind of be worthy of you know what would be considered in Scientology going clear, enable yeah. to kind of unlock the secrets of what plasm is being chosen. And then finding out it's an alien doors. called Xanadu or whatever it is that they believe in. But <laughs> basically, like, but I mean, the truth of, of Plasm, I don't think even the people playing around with it know. No, because that's what they're researching, isn't it? They don't know yeah. what the limits of this is. And that's what they're willfully testing on animals and a whole university of students. Yeah. And themselves. <laughs> I think there's definitely a lot of the language of cults in the language of Catherine. Yes. Because they have their own strange terms that don't mean anything outside of the school. Yeah. Like concentrations. And um, I wrote a few more down. Did I? Forums. Um, They have like, that's their like end of year presentation. Mm. Their forums. 
all of the teachers are referred to as M name, like completely gender neutral, no mister, no missus, um, no sir, no ma'am, just M. So M David. And that kind of like that specific language trapping of that insular society is very reminiscent of cults and how they make you kind of feel like you're special and you're part of a group because you know this secret you know this secret language no one else does and that makes you special yeah it is definitely very culty yeah and then you've got victoria as like the the figurehead for that and i think again maybe not so much for inez although she does have a she's definitely um compelled by victoria like she's very interested and kind of Mm. allured by her but To me, she reminded me a bit of President Snow from Hunger Games. Interesting. See, as soon as you said President Snow, I thought of the other president that takes control in District 13. Oh, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah. Because she's that kind of understated, look, we're friends. I care about you. You're my children. I'm protecting you. (laughs) I see what you mean. I think for me, it was the... It was the unpleasant combination of smells. (laughs) So Victoria (laughs) smells like lilies and tobacco. And apparently I could not think of anything worse. Whereas I, I remember, you remember not that long ago when I first read Hunger Games and the, I remember messaging you about that description of President Snow and he, he, his breath smelled like blood. Yeah. And he, he smells like roses because he has his rose garden. Yeah. Worst combination. Yeah. (laughs) Because <laughs> he leaves um, Katniss roses, doesn't he? Yeah. As a threat. <laughs> yeah, I see that. That. But what I also wrote about Victoria, I know we're not doing like character kind of analysis, but from a like a hero worship mm. point of view, she's often depicted with the colour green, specifically yeah. emerald green in her dresses. She wears a ring and it's like, to me, it was like the wizard at the end of the road in Oz. Oh, okay. And we know where that went. You know what I yeah, mean? That, yeah, it's that false... <laughs> Yes. False god, isn't it? Yeah. She's very godlike. She sits at the head, doesn't she? And she doesn't always speak. She just watches out over everyone. Yeah. And you don't get to speak to her one-on-one until your final year. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Not in Kansas anymore. No, no, we're definitely not. <laughs> Which does mean that Billie Jean is Toto, I'm just saying. <laughs> just justice for Billie Jean. <laughs> I know. I genuinely so, thought Billie Jean was going to be like throughout the novel. I wasn't expecting to lose Billie Jean so early. So, uh, Billie Jean, if you don't know, is a little snail that um, Inez's roommate baby brings with her. Mm-hmm. Finds, finds him on the lawn and kind of smuggles yeah. him in. And they put him in a little, him or her, because you don't know with snails, um, in a little tank. And then there's a room inspection because they're not allowed pets. But it's not the thing that... Again, we're off on a way tangent here, but (laughs) what I thought was really interesting is, like, it's not actually clear whether Baby squished Billie Jean or or whether... um, The inspector. Yeah. Because I think there's a line that says, I don't know, I can't, something like, oh, I'll have to find it. But it says something like, I can't understand why she did it. Or I don't understand why she did it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, did she do, did Baby squish the snail? I kind of assumed Baby did. Did you? I didn't want to believe that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because she was so, she was so upset about it. I kind of figured yeah. she, she did it. Oh, I feel like I need to read that bit again now. <laughs> Welcome to Snail Pod. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to find here. One of the other things that we always look at is old money and whether that collides with new money or no money. And I don't think that's really relevant to Catherine House. No. I think money is just taken almost off the table. Yeah, because they all arrive there, regardless of where they've come from. They're all coming with nothing. Their old lives are stripped away and they're thrown into a new world where it's not really a... It's a non-issue, isn't it? Yeah. They're not allowed out of the school, so they can't go and buy anything. They all earn points to buy from the commissary equally. There's no difference in clothing or anything like that. It's just a non-issue, I think. Mm. Which is, I think, the first time that's come up as not present in one of the books this season, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you still you still get a sense of a kind of financial hierarchy in terms of the the students that the upperclassmen who mm. basically will trade their items for services rendered however you yeah. wish to interpret, interpret that. that yeah <laughs> yeah that's true but we don't really see that directly much do we it's usually no. through yaya i think the only time we see like money mentioned is theo because he comes from an incredibly rich family, but I think it says somewhere, but they're all, they're all basically evil. And it, was that Theo or was it Nick? Was it? I thought it was Theo. Let me see. Oh, it is Nick. You're right. Like, take Nick. His family owns half of Philadelphia, but they're obviously evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for your favourite. The weather! We have weather, we have lots of weather in this book. The weather plays an important role in this book because of how terrible the upkeep of the house is. I think that's where the weather comes in. Definitely. It it ends up having like a direct effect on the characters. um, Mm. Because it's it's used as another way to further entrap them. So the cold kind of forces them together. You don't want to go out anyway, do you, in those kind of conditions. And the heat... The oh heat God, it just yeah. has like obviously the same effect because you don't want to go out anywhere. Um, there's there's that scene where they're talking about they're in class and she's watching the sweat run down <laughs> the neck of the person in front of them and everyone just like no one can concentrate. If you've ever had a lesson in a porter cabin, oh God, yeah. <laughs> in the sum in summer mm. term, then that it that I felt that so keenly. Yeah, <laughs> so gross. our last tenet of dark academia is underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist portrayed as an outsider Mm. and i think catherine house kind of messes with this one it's there but in an unexpected way i think i mean yeah they're all outsiders in their own ways and like that kind of pushes them together to form a community where none of them are outsiders yeah apart from maybe the the students obviously that work that are working under m neptune oh yeah true they're very separate from mm. um everyone else it's almost like and them i feel and like 
that is the more traditional view, isn't it, in Dark Academia? Because we're normally in that exclusive set. Yeah. They're all very social because there's not much else to do. No. I mean, I think at first, Inez is very antisocial. I think, doesn't even her advisor, like, comment on it? So you're very antisocial. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she doesn't want to. She doesn't play the game right away. She doesn't want to play the game right no. away. But then when they kind of threaten her with, "Well, you'll have to leave," she's kind of forced. I think she even says that she can force it and pretend if she has yeah. to. And I think she basically does fake it until she makes it. She does, yeah, yeah, definitely. <gasps> so cult-like, it isn't is so it? Cult-like. <laughs> I think that kind of almost apathy of um Inez in the beginning plays into kind of the start of the criticisms yeah of the novel because we've both said we loved this book but it has such mixed reviews it does it's really quite divisive isn't it it's not it's usually not just middle of the road people are a marmite about this book Mm. Yeah, they either love it or they hate it. And kind of, because we loved it so much, we kind of went looking for what it is that's putting people off. Because, I mean, I couldn't see it. (laughs) Me neither. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I found actually in the Kirkus Review, which is obviously a big um, American publication, like getting a Kirkus star is a big deal. Um, And... The apathy of Inez is one of the things that they pointed out, huh. which I mean, I I read, I'm going to read you the little quote in a minute, but I was like, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but also no. <laughs> so I think it, it does depend on your, what you're wanting from the book and what you are willing to just go along with. Yeah. Because Kirkus said... Because Inez has experienced so much trauma, however, she's often disconnected and distant from the characters and events that propel the plot forward. Even her curiosity and ability to explore Catherine's depths are tamped down by depression and fear. This results in muted lyrical observation about what it feels like to be in the house in the woods. But it also means the reader only learns as much as Inez herself can see and process. In the end, we're shut out of the mysteries of Catherine House too. Like, I can see where they're going, but I feel like that's that's the idea. Yeah. I think... I mean... Also, that's, that's just a without her actions, we wouldn't... I don't know. But also, that's just what a first-person narrative is. Yeah. That's true. Like, you're in you're in that person's point of view and whether that's reliable or not and you can yeah. only see what that character sees, which makes those reveals and those mysteries even more interesting because you're not seeing what's happening and then being frustrated at the character for being an idiot and not seeing it. Yeah. You're going through it with the character. I mean, I really appreciated that we have a character here who has obviously suffered some trauma and is still going through the processing of that. Yeah. And, you know, is is using substances, usually just a copious amount of alcohol to cope, mm-hmm. as well as um, kind of using sex as well to yeah. feel 
something. something. Yeah. And I know I just really appreciated that about her character. Like it, it, it wasn't just like a gimmick to use at first. Like, oh, I'm so sad. Mm. I drink and I fuck around. Like, yeah. This, these were core integral. I don't want to call them flaws because they, they're not flaws. They're coping, they're coping mechanisms. mechanisms. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that shapes her path in Catherine. She wouldn't have been suspicious. She wouldn't have missed the things that she missed. Mm. She wouldn't have kind of fallen in with the people that she fell in with. She wouldn't have had the relationship with baby that she did if she wasn't this person. Yeah. So. would I mean, and even would Theo have had a relationship with her if she wasn't the way she was? Because I that was a kick in the teeth. That was... That essentially oh, I was Theo so angry. <laughs> Theo essentially was grooming her mm-hmm. to become the next experiment, big experiment. Yeah, which we haven't actually mentioned yet. But no, we haven't. <laughs> there's a older student called Alexander who now goes by the name of Sandy, who is a reanimated corpse, mm-hmm. for want of so a better way of putting yeah. it. So he died six years ago, and. Um... Inez finds this in a document in the attic, doesn't she? Yeah. Like the report of the death. And she kind of one day, like when she comes out of her her like alcohol stupor, she as she's like trying to work and try really desperately wants to know what plasm is and what's behind the locked doors of the school, she kind of clicks it together that it is him. Yeah. And he does walk around the school like a zombie, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, and also that's part of the, you know, part of the reason I think that they're, you know, allowed so much alcohol is like it, it's a way of control for one, you yeah. know, it, it, they say it's giving them freedom, but it's just another way to keep them prisoner. And it wouldn't matter who, which character we saw the perspective from, they're all pickled half the time. I yeah. doubt their perspective is going to be that much more interesting than no. uh, Inez's. And also it's that thing of like, if they see something they don't want to, don't want the students to say, God, you must have been so drunk. You know, <laughs> exactly. it's that, it's that cover. Like they're partying. Wow. They're not. You were on the moonshine last night, were you? Like, <laughs> yeah. And it is that kind of, that barrier there as well. And it's a distraction. Yeah. So, sorry, Kirkus, but I vehemently disagree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you had another big criticism that came up a lot, didn't you? Yeah, well? I mean, it's similar, but it's more, It's more. I think, rather than um, uh, like character-based, I, I saw a lot of people commenting that they felt the narrative was flat and that it had no climax, um, mm. that you're never really told what the meaning of anything is. But, I mean, I think that the uncertainty and the vagueness of the descriptions of things is kind of the point. Yeah. I agree. And I think like with the lack of a climax, I think that's untrue because it all builds to that point where um, Inez is sent to the tower and kind of told, actually, we've been grooming you to be a reanimated corpse. Are you going to choose to die for us? And wouldn't you want to do that? Isn't that wonderful? Like, like, ugh, is it? Don't you love Plasm and Catherine enough to do this? I think, I think... For a lot of people, I think I can see how it could be frustrating to not have a concrete um, definition of what some of these things are because because they're not because it, it's it's made up 
so why isn't there why couldn't you just make yeah. up a description for it but i don't know i i liked the ambiguity to it i think um what i wrote down was about how it's almost like what we're doing here on this podcast right so we try and pin down what dark academia is um i mean sure you can see physical evidence of it you can see yep. it working but ultimately it's a feeling it's an incorporate understanding <laughs> that certain books are interconnected in certain ways yes and that's exactly that it's plasm that's what dark academia <laughs> is <laughs> but no New i don't tagline right there <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know i i mean obviously it also comes down to like what you're really into in a book so mm. you know it's we love the heck out of the secret history and you could say you could probably argue that the narrative is quite dry or quite flat in that but yeah you easily could i think yeah but as well like you it's more character than plot yeah. you're working through inez aren't you mm. like i wanted to know what plasm is but not as much as i was invested in Inez's journey. Yeah. So. What I did find interesting is that our previous like criticisms of um, books that we featured on the podcast aren't really applicable here either. So questions about, no. um, you know, like homophobia or mm -hmm. handling of LGBTQ plus issues, not yeah. really an issue here. No, no lack of diversity, um, which is amazing yeah so handling of some... you know handling of um uh gender or mm -hmm. gendered um stereotypes i mean there is you could argue there is kind of like a culture of almost like slut shaming a little bit but it's it's not within her group it's not as prevalent no if that I makes mean, sense. it seems like most of the school to do what they want don't they and it's it's yeah. very fluid like there's no there's no discussions there's no coming out it's just a, no she sleeps with who she sleeps with and it's entirely fluid yeah the entire time and that seems to be the case for a lot of characters as well which i, mm. I really liked that fluidity there yeah that was very refreshing for a dark academia text and same with the diversity as well yeah and that was just effortless it was just part of it wasn't an it wasn't a, an issue or a discussion like it was in Ace of Spades, mm. like this lack of representation, or it was just the way that Catherine House is formed. But I think where obviously in um, the big granddaddy of the secret history, you know, there mm. were issues of how um, the representation with women was handled, um, how uh, there was racism going on there. There was a lack of diversity like none of that is here no it's not at all it's not you could probably quite easily pick up on like small points here and there but there's not like an undercurrent um of enough for it to be an issue yeah it's not woven into the institution like no. it is with lots of the other texts did you have any isolated elements that you wish i to discuss do i do so a big one for me was the motif of the gothic haunted house i could talk about this for actual years <laughs> so i'm just gonna be super brief <laughs> um so basically 
haunted house in capital G Gothic <laughs> is how the I see it as the house of the home provides an illusion of safety and family and love and belonging. But the house and its secrets and those things that you have kind of joined the house to obtain in turn trap and oppress you into belonging and conformity. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. (laughs) Cool. And that's a really traditional um, kind of link between the, the house and the haunted house because this this idea of haunting and the secrets and the things that haunt the corridors of Catherine, these are part of why you have to be a part of this community to protect these secrets. Yeah. But they are also what is causing you to suffer at the hands of belonging in the house. Yeah. If that makes any sense at all. Yes. Cool. I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> cool. Okay. So if you've read any Shirley Jackson... Um, specifically Haunting of Hill House or We Have Always Lived in the Castle that will be a very familiar motif even if you do not know it yet yes. <laughs> it's that um, classic southern gothic um, or female oppression um, and the, the, like, the social constructs of the house and the home and the place in the home mm-hmm yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna keep it there because otherwise I can just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote my uh, dissertation on that topic and Shirley Jackson, so there's lots there's lots left. If you <laughs> if you want to discuss with me, please do. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I had was there is so much intertextuality in this book. Yes. Like, there are so many kind of clear influences from the secret history. Mm-hmm. We've talked endlessly about Madame. <laughs> There's also, I noticed, like, I don't know whether they are direct and deliberate influences, but uh, one line that made me think of The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman and another Gatsby. Uh-huh. So Gatsby was... Um, this is Yaya to Inez when they're looking through the commissary shipments, which um, Yaya has, ba- Yaya has basically kind of found a way to access all of the good stuff before it goes in and becomes available to everybody else. He says, I've always loved beautiful things, she whispered. It's stupid, I know. I've gotten into the worst messes for stupid, beautiful things. <laughs> and that screamed Gatsby to me. Yeah, yeah. But Yaya kind of defies that like beautiful little fool trope yeah which I, I really loved and then the yellow wallpaper I don't this is it was probably completely unintentional but this is what it made me think of the wall next to the bed was discolored the white paint darkened to yellow and that was immediate yellow wallpaper to me mm. because in the yellow wallpaper it's a short feminist story I think it's a 19th century story isn't it it's an early feminist text and um, she's a woman is basically recovering from a quote mark illness slash hysteria and she's taken to a country house by her husband and she's basically told to stay in her room and recuperate and she's looking at the yellow wallpaper and this this patterns in the wallpaper and it basically sends her mad and she starts seeing things moving in the wallpaper and 
she kind of becomes involved in this whole story that she's created around this house. And it kind of made me think of like the indoctrination of Catherine. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, that could just be my brain spiralling off, but <laughs> that that's what I got from that. <laughs> what about you? Do you have any? Um, I mean, I wrote down the word bacchanal because we haven't really seen that aspect since um villains and obviously um in villains yeah we talked about the bacchanal in villains oh yeah the um the play in the lake yes. yeah i'm with you yeah, I'm yeah. With you. um and obviously the secret history where it mm-hmm. is the main thing um but there, there is this kind of element of uh, Dionysian worship. Mm. I feel like the, but almost, almost, and like the Dionysian versus um, Apollo, it's almost taken to an even bigger extreme in Catherine House because yeah. they're completely sloshed half the time but (laughs) then the academic the sensible the logical side is just it's too intense like it's too much but everything is too much yeah yeah it's it's the Um, work hard play hard but to the most extreme isn't it yeah and i i wrote i wrote i didn't write it i saved a (laughs) quote (laughs) um yeah this is in her kind of third year when she has almost like given over to it she's Mm -hmm. with theo it's all great and wonderful yeah um and this uh she says the greeks had used the same stars to conquer the world we were like them gods and heroes i highlighted that too Uh (laughs) (laughs) i love that quote it's so good yeah yeah, there is I there is small agree. mentions about like ancient Greece and mm. the Greek gods and stuff throughout. It's like peppered through, isn't it? Yeah, they talk about Homer at one point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only other thing I wrote down um was tapestry. There are a lot of tapestries. There are I'm a not lot into tapestries. Yeah. I couldn't really I mean I wasn't entirely sure what kind of connection I was trying to make, but I just kept seeing tapestries and I was determined that it was a motif of something. I think it is because it's, that's how, like in the history of Plasm at the school, like that's how they announced this discovery to the world, wasn't it? This um, now disgraced professor demonstrated that he could knit a torn tapestry back together. Yeah. And I think think it was just this idea of like, weaving a moment in time Mm. into a tapestry to then tear it apart and put it back together again yeah and tapestries are just they just there was always a tapestry on the wall it was like a tapestry of this i think it was a really odd one i'm sure it was like some something riding a riding a bull or i don't know it was a very odd one and i was like on a tapestry gallery Maybe. It's like, oh, that's on a tapestry. That's very odd. <laughs> so, is Catherine House Dark Academia? Yes. I say yes too. <laughs> I think absolutely. And that's just something that we were talking about while we were reading. 
And I think, like, our conclusion at the end of season one of The Dark Academicals, that although there are these tenets of dark academia, and if a book misses all of them, it's unlikely to be dark academia. But moreover, dark academia is a vibe. It's a feeling. (laughs) (laughs) It's this particular atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. You just know. That you're searching for, yeah. That is that is our season one conclusion. It is. I'd be really, really, really interested to see if uh, anyone else kind of agrees with us on what we've kind of mm. on our judgments on on yeah. these books because yeah, it'll be interesting to see if our if our framework stands up, but also if yeah. our gut feeling um, and like for other people's touch points of dark yeah. academia. And we kind of in season two, we are kind of gonna push the boundaries of our tenets of dark academia by um looking at um some fantasy some magical realism some thriller dark academia novels as well as the traditional contemporary dark academia novels that season one has comprised of yeah so we're gonna see if how that works through you know the existing tropes of those other genres so would you like to do the honours and reveal the six titles that will I be can. coming to the Dark Academicals in season two? I can. Indeed. So yeah, this is our current running order. Of course, anything could happen between now and then. But currently, <laughs> our first book for season two, which we should be coming back... End of May. End of May. Um, if you're listening to, a, to us way after May... Hello, season two will be out now. (laughs) (laughs) Please listen. (laughs) (laughs) So the first book that we're going to tackle is the TikTok sensation, The Atlas Six by Olivia Blake. TikTok sensation. (laughs) I feel the need to keep saying that. (laughs) That's going to be interesting as well to look at how that kind of such a hyped text, but in such a differently hyped way. Yeah. Mm. And then we have... Uh, Sleepwalking by Meg Wolitzer. Well excited for this. I loved... I've only read one of Meg Wolitzer's books. Bells Are, but I adored it. So good. So brilliant. That actually has Dark Academia vibes too. It does. We could come back to that. (laughs) Taking a note. Taking a note. (laughs) We have The Maidens by Alex Michaelides, which I'm very much looking forward to reading. I've had it for quite a while now. Yeah. Great cover too. Isn't it? I mean, the cover is Dark Academia, if nothing oh, else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, for our Dark Academia adjacent title, we have The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a YA title, The Mary Shelley Club by Goldie Moldavsky. And last but not least, The Raven Boys by Maggie Steve Otter. I am so ready to reread The Raven Boys. <laughs> Me too. And I'm, only, I'm still on book two, but shh. <laughs> See, I've read the series twice, I want to say. So, and it's been a while. I am mm. ready. Gamesy has just been one of my book boyfriends for a very oh, long time. Yeah. So those are the six titles that are currently in our lineup for season two of The Dark Academicals. We're having a break hopefully going on holiday and we will be back at the end of may with our first episode on the atlas six by olivia blake 
So we hope to see you when season two releases. And if this is your first time listening to our podcast, we have six other episodes that you can go and listen to. That would be really nice. We really want to thank you for the support for season one. We have loved our new podcast adventure and we hope you loved coming along with us too. So until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.